0: This is the Stuck Mike Abcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 174,
1: live from Sun and Fun, 2018, Day 4, coming up next in this episode of the Stuck Mike Abcast.
0: Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Neuville, Eric Crump, Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, Tom Frick, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Hey, folks, this is Carl Valerian. We are
1: live here at Sun and Fun 2018. I'm on the deck. As you know, the Stuck Mike Avcast volunteers every day from 11 o'clock till 1 on the deck and also in the back doing some work on, well, everything. We get the donuts out. We also get coffee, and we also edit and our live show. Joining me today on the deck is Larry Overstreet, Russ Rosleski, and Bill English. Larry, man, you've been uh, doing a great job with interviews, and it's been a lot of fun. I know you're camping out here on, on the field. Uh, that is actually got to be the coolest thing.
2: It is. Uh, camping with the rest of the uh, Camp Radioactive uh, team here yeah. uh, is just a blast. We've been doing it for many years now. Uh, a lot of the same uh, folks end up at that other show up the road. So we it's like our <laughs> family that we see twice a year, you know, that kind of thing. But a lot of fun. We're having um, a... Uh, uh, potluck tonight. We're making chili and bringing that, so come on by. Chili? I'm I'm definitely going to come for chili. Yeah, and I think other people are bringing, you know, burgers and brats and hot dogs and all that kind of stuff. Can I bring beer? Yeah, absolutely. Beer. There might even be some there.
1: Okay, terrific. Well, Larry, you're in air conditioning, but there's a couple other guys here that have flown airplanes in are camping underneath the wing of their airplanes, and that's actually Russ did that.
2: Russ did that, and um, he's, he's uh, got a pretty good week here for doing that, but it looks like we're going to get a little bit of rain on Sunday, so have to figure out how to stay dry then.
1: So I think you may have alternative plans, huh, Russ?
2: I do have alternative plans. Of course, uh, my
3: main alternative plan is to move into Casa de Valeri. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. And, uh, yeah, just looking at the weather moving in on Sunday, that may affect my departure plans. If I get out Sunday, that's great. But uh, you can always wait a day, right? So, uh, yeah, I may be departing Monday. We'll see.
1: You may have a house guest for a while, so I ordered extra beer for you. Thank you. Very very nice, yes. <laughs> and also camping here on the grounds is uh, Bill English. And Bill's been doing a great job with the interviews. you got a couple of them coming up. Uh, Maybe you could uh, tell us a little bit about that, too.
4: Yeah, well, um, um, first off, let's talk about this beer at the Camp Radioactive. But but at any rate, um, yeah, uh, we're right down down the path from Camp Radioactive. And uh, yeah, I've got a couple of uh, interviews coming up uh, that we've done today. You'll hear about a Cessna 172 that runs on jet fuel, believe it or not. And we're going to talk a little bit about wildlife hazards, Uh, whether birds really do dive away from you or not. And uh, what is the strangest animal that has been hit by an airplane could it be an alligator a cat a parrot a turtle you can go learn that over and i think it's hangar b and we'll talk about that today in the interviews and uh plenty of more more interviews coming up well i tell you what let's go to those interviews right now we'll talk a little bit after you hear the
1: interviews about the rest of our day here at sun and Fun. so enjoy those interviews we'll talk to you at the end of it
3: this is Russ Roslusky from the Stuck Mike Afcast reporting for Sun of Fun Radio, Sun of Fun 2018. Standing here with two gentlemen from the U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, we have Douglas Cowell and Gilbert Thomas. Gentlemen, how are you today? I'm fine.
5: Thank you for inviting us. You bet. Uh, Gilbert,
0: how are you
6: doing? I'm doing fine, and thank you again for inviting us. And uh, we're happy to be here and we'll answer any questions you got. You
3: bet. Well, I want to know more about this Coast Guard Auxiliary. Uh, you're, you're in uniform, and uh, you're, you're, you're some kind of a auxiliary to the Coast Guard, right? So tell
5: us a little bit about the structure and how this works. We are unique in that we're a volunteer military organization, one of the three components of the Coast Guard. Coast Guard is made up of active duty reserves and the Coast Guard Auxiliary. It's a privilege for us to earn the opportunity to wear the Coast Guard uniform. We're non-paid volunteers, military organization. Pretty much an anomaly when you look at volunteer organizations in the world. What's amazing is that our volunteer work, we generate a little over 13 hours of volunteer time compared to the Coast Guard's one hour of work time for active duty or reserves. So we're a pretty important component. Certainly sounds like it. What type of uh, operations do you get involved in? Uh,
6: Basically, uh, our main mission is a... recreational boating safety but we have more components we have the uh, surface units and we have the air auxiliary units also that are part of the coast guard auxiliary so basically what we're trying to do is make sure that people are coming and learning about boating so our one mission is teaching boating classes in public education so say that you just purchased the boat you have never had one you don't even know what's supposed to be on that boat, plus how to drive it. So we have classes to going from very elementary all the way up to navigation, GPS, and we have even a four hour ch- uh, course, how to read charts, and we will teach you how to boat. But one of the things we'd like you to do is to join us and become a part of us as, and to promote boating safety to promote the vessel safety checks. Vessel safety checks, we're the nice guys in all this. We'll tell you what's wrong with your boat because there's uh, safety items that have to be on that boat. Basically, life jackets, fire extinguisher, flares, uh, navigation lights, and a few other things. So I will tell you what's wrong with your boat, and that's up to you to fix it and come back and I'll reinspect it and then I'll give you a decal saying that on this date you met all of the necessary items to be approved to have a boating safety sticker. And that's one of our main missions so that we can improve boating safety. And the last mission is that we also put out pamphlets throughout all the boating stores and different uh, previews. and. We leave these pamphlets there, and one of them is called the Federal Regulations, which explains all the laws required for voting and many more things. So we have a lot to offer, and uh, if you like a voting inspection, just go to the internet, put in vessel safety check, and it'll take you to our national site. And we won't even come out to your house
3: out to my house, really? (laughs) Wow.
5: (laughs) And Gil really brought up some great points, that we provide the support. We work shoulder to shoulder with active duty and reserves. And if we do our job right at the auxiliary of our public education classes and providing the free vessel safety checks, in theory, we reduce the SAR missions, the search and rescue missions for the Coast Guard out on the water. Now, there's a bumper sticker that people s- that you may see that says, support the Coast Guard, get lost on the water. <laughs> tongue in cheek, tongue in cheek. We don't want that to happen. And so the important thing is we provide those free vessels safety checks. So as a boat owner, a recreational boat owner, you know that you have peace of mind that your boat is equipped properly. Interesting statistic is that we track some metrics. 97% of the time when boat owners use their equipment, following their vessel safety check it's to go to the aid of another boat owner who hasn't had that who is in dire straits or maybe needs help with something so the vessel safety checks are incredible they're important and the public education many times when you have documentation from both those initiatives like me I achieve a 13% discount on my annual marine boating insurance so that's possible too so uh, one great course we teach is Suddenly in Command. Usually us guys run the boats, right? We got the gorgeous-looking women on the boat with us most of the time. This teaches them what to do if something happens. Important course. And possibly saves you money. And
3: we... That's that's a huge selling point right there, certainly. Very much so so I, I know a lot of uh, pilots out here also love to boat, and we have a lot of aircraft owners that are also boat owners. So this is very useful information. I'm sure they'll be going to look and find more about this. Uh, however, you also have a uh, volunteer flying type uh, mission, don't you?
6: Well, we support the Coast Guard itself with Air Auxury, and Air Auxury supports them by doing missions for the Coast Guard, and. This is how it works. So if you're a pilot, we can use you. If you're a pilot with an airplane, boy, we can really use you. <laughs> <laughs> and we also have air reservers and air crews. So it's a multifaceted and uh, physically demanding. But if you're interested, all you have to do is go to Google, put in US Coast Guard Auxiliary Air Auxiliary, and it'll take you right to the site, and they will get you there, OK?
5: One other thing, Russ, is that when you look at individuals whom can become volunteers, people volunteer because of heart-driven desire. They want to make a difference. They want to give to a cause. We are a great cause where we really impact people's lives and make a difference, whether it's on the water or elsewhere. People bring their skills, whether they were a carpenter, a plumber, an electrician, a chef, a physician, a nurse practitioner, an accountant, um, whatever it may be. If you think of all the work functions there are in the Coast Guard, it's our job to provide backfill and support. Example, when the hurricanes are going on, the Coast Guard depleted close to about 40% of their workforce at their stations responding in Houston. The auxiliary stepped up and we went to their commands, whether it was a clinic, a boat station, a large station and office of sector headquarters, and we provided that backup filling those gaps. That's how and why we raise our right hand and say we will serve, we will support. It's a great cause if people want to volunteer and give back, especially to the country. This is the incredible ultimate opportunity. All they simply have to do is Google U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, it'll take them right to the link so they can take action. We're looking for people to become volunteers who want to do something, who want to make a difference. And as Gil said, it's an important cause.
6: One of the the things about joining the Coast Guard Auxiliary, you have to be 17 years old or older. But we have no age limit. Like I tell people, you haven't hit 100 yet, so you're still good. (laughs) 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 Well, 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 we're, we're interested in you. And one of the things, uh, what we say is that if you're physically able, then we need you. And we do have some people with handicaps even, you know, that are not, uh, they want to volunteer. We'll try to find a place and accommodate them if we can. So that's a, it's a, it's a valid thing because uh, I have one guy that, uh, he, wanted, he wanted to join. He was, he's blind. And we said, come on. And he became the platilla Commander at the uh, end of this. Really? Oh, uh, Yeah. So
3: That's fantastic. Uh, sounds like a very worthwhile organization, and you can pretty much accept anybody who wants a volunteer. Any closing comments?
5: Yes, thank you for that. We are looking for volunteers, people of all colors, all faiths, all religions, all talents, all skills, all capabilities. We need help to continue doing our work. We don't have bricks and mortar. We don't have an office. We all work from our homes remotely and it is a privilege. And so we need your help.
3: All right. Well, thank you very much. Uh, certainly, as they said, uh, if you're interested in the Coast Guard Auxiliary, the easiest way is to go to Google or whatever search engine. Just search for Coast, U.S. Coast Guard Auxiliary, and that'll take you right there. Uh, certainly sounds like a very worthwhile organization, and like uh, they were saying, they, they could really could use anybody who wants to volunteer, whatever your skill level is, and 17 up to, well, a, 100 or more, apparently, right? So uh, so thank you very much, gentlemen. I appreciate your time. This is Russell Leski for Son of Fun Radio.
4: This is Bill English with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And we are over here in one of the vendor hangars. And, you know, have you ever been tinkering around in your hangar, your garage, and got a great idea for some new gadget or some improvement on your airplane and wondered, I wonder if I can make something of this, sell this product, make this invention? There's a way to go about that. And we're talking with Chase Boswell. He's an attorney with Pennington uh, Intellectual Property Attorneys. They handle patents specifically for aviation. They say we speak aviation. Chase, can you tell us a little bit about what that uh, that tinkerer, that experimenter who has some great new idea for aviation, how would they go about getting a patent and what does that really mean?
7: Yeah, Bill, so you, you actually gave a great intro there. Many of us who fly and are involved in aviation, as well as all other different types of tinkering and engineering, uh, sometimes look at something and they either have one a new idea that we think that doesn't exist, or we already have an invention that we think can be improved in one or, or various ways. Uh, that's what we specialize in, and that's what we help people achieve. Uh, w- giving us a call and, and getting us having us sit down with you, and, and we can we can sit down and uh, well, Wiley Horton in particular, a, a law partner in my my firm, is an engineer. He's a patent attorney as well as an avid uh, pilot and and, and experience in aviation we can sit down with you and we can listen to your idea take the time that you need to and give you the experience and the uh, expertise as well as the advice on getting your idea or your improvement patented and and get that out marketed to people as well as uh bring it to the public and hopefully improve and advance aviation technology so do
4: you, uh, do you help with any kind of resources to make it real? I mean, sometimes, you know, we see in the news these crazy patents that come out, you know, the stand-up airline seats and things like that. <laughs> does, it, does it have
7: to actually be engineered and really work or just an idea? Well, the, the first starting point is, is you yourself have come up with an idea. You, may not have, you don't have to have it all worked out. You don't have to have everything blueprinted out by the time you come to us. But it's, it's good to have someone to sit down and talk with to talk through the legal process. The patent process is, unfortunately, a very difficult and long, prolonged process. And many people who are just in their own garage and have a great idea don't have the knowledge or the path to go through that. And And, it, and it's very helpful to sit down with us and have us kind of be your tour guide through the process and help you get through it. So in a long round, long way of answering your question, you do not have to have it all the way figured out. And, and sometimes we can actually help you get through the final steps of it uh, and get you your patent uh, and get you worked out. And I understand that would that could protect you a little bit as well in case you go to market and you don't have this sort of things all worked out. That could possibly cause some trouble for your business, I guess, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, the main point of patents going way back into early American legislature is to protect this patent from someone coming up saying hey I I like this idea this is a good idea I want to copy that the patent isn't if it gets granted and and passes through the patent board is an exclusive product an exclusive patent that's owned by you Uh, someone can't come in and reverse engineer it Uh, and at the end of the day you can take great pride in the fact that you are the only one and that have designed this and you are the one who this is your idea and your experiment and and really at the end of the day you're the one who's helping people.
4: Yeah, we know historically that's
7: been with aviation for a long time, right? Even the Wright brothers had these kind of issues back in the early
4: days of aviation. Do you have any examples of any uh, any people that might have, you know, come up with that great idea in their garage? You know, sort of the the Steve Jobs of aviation. Is there anything like that that you've uh,
7: heard of that, that got patented and became successful? Uh, off the cuff, I can't think of anybody as far as the garage guy that, that came up and developed it. But, I mean, you mentioned earlier the Wright brothers. I mean, th- those guys were the ones who made the airplane. And they were bicycle salesmen. They designed bicycles, and they said, hey, listen, I have a great idea. Let's make something that flies. And they and everyone said, hey, listen, uh, if God I if us to fly, they put wings on our back. And they said, no, I've got this great idea. I think we can fly. We can make it happen. And they did. And quite honestly, here in the Tampa Bay area, we're, we're the home of the first commercial flight ever. T- the Tampa Bay community, including Lakeland, including the Winter Haven area, is known and is a great staple in the aviation community and we are attempting to pursue that and continue that by being here at the lakeland sun and fun air show
4: great thanks for all that information chase that's not something i would have thought of before we're talking with chase boswell Uh, he's an attorney with pennington intellectual property uh they're over in uh, what are we hangar c i think hangar c hangar b hangar b yeah all right well if you've got that great idea come on by and uh, check them out for stuck mike avcast this is bill english reporting for sun and fun radio
2: Hello, this is Larry Overstreet uh, with Stuck like My Avcast reporting for uh, for Sun and Fun Radio live at Sun and Fun 2018, and you just never know what you're going to see as you run around the grounds here at Sun and Fun. Uh, as many of you know, we're um, some of us are camping here at Sun and Fun at the at the campground, and as I was passing through, I saw a really interesting uh, craft. Uh, and so I thought I'd stop and uh, uh, have a little chat with the owner here. This, so I'm with uh, Kent Gano from the Atlanta, Georgia area. And Kent, can you tell us about what's on that trailer behind your, your RV? It's a hovercraft,
8: a uh, single engine uh, set up. It's a cruising machine. Very quiet, very quiet, um, very fuel efficient. And, uh, you know, we're here after our... Uh, Florida cruise, we call it, from the Hover Club of America, and we plan it a, a week ahead of time, the weekend before Sun and Fun, so we can all come down here. So, actually, one of my friends is here, uh, John, who is working the satellite truck. Cool. So Yeah, and he came up and asked me if we could fill up some of the hot air balloons tomorrow morning. <laughs> we'll, we'll trail it out there and fire it up and blow up the, uh, the hot
2: Oh, that air would be balloons. cool. Yeah, yeah. It, it's going to be neat. So, so, so how fast does a, a craft like this go?
8: Well, it's a cruising machine, so we're looking at 45. We have race machines that hit over 85, 90 miles an hour, and
2: it just it's something to drive. Oh, man. I, ma- I imagine you wouldn't want to do that on choppy uh, water.
8: No, but you still have to when we have uh, the championships. If it's choppy, it's the way it is, you know?
2: Okay. Okay. You, you play the course you're dealt. Yeah. Yeah.
8: yeah. Everybody's got a, the same conditions, so...
2: Yep, that's true, that's true. Now, is that, uh, how many, uh, from here I can't quite see, how many uh, seats are in there?
8: Oh, you can fit two people in there.
2: Okay, yeah. okay, very nice.
8: It's a tandem setup, so, you know,
2: if you have a young child, you put them up in front of you. Okay. Yeah, if you've got an adult, you put them behind you. Okay, it looks, uh, just looking at it from here, it looks like there's some carbon fiber on there. What, what is the construction?
8: Okay, the duct is made of uh, carbon fiber and Kevlar
2: and kevlar okay yes. the top end deck
8: is made of uh kevlar excuse me uh carbon fiber the bottom hull is made of kevlar because sometimes you hit stuff and the okay kevlar, you know absorbs the impact much better than glass does okay very yeah. good yeah. Yeah. very good very light very strong uh, sandwich design positive flotation you can stop it in the water just sit there and fish if you wanted to and then get up and go again oh how
2: cool that that sounds like so much fun and you don't
8: have to trailer it in you get it off the trailer you hover it down the boat ramp or wherever and right into the water and just keep on going
2: oh man that's terrific what what um are there any kind of license requirements or how do you become skilled and acquire the knowledge to use the the craft safely
8: it's just like a boat basically okay so you have got to learn. It's different than of course a boat or a jet ski because it tracks. It's kind of like when I've trained, I used to train rescue people. Okay. And the pilots that I've trained picked it up with within a couple of seconds. They already understood what the wind was doing and all that type of thing. So,
2: now do you like if you're if you're going with a crosswind or something like that, do you crab almost like you would in an yeah. airplane?
8: Yeah, exactly the same because it's the wind's pushing the duct and it's pushing you sideways. And plus, you're up above the water, basically.
2: Okay. Okay. You're
8: eight inches off the ground, so you're being pushed around like a hockey puck.
2: Oh man, yeah. that that does sound that does sound fun.
8: Uh, they're great on ice too. Uh, okay. Because they they use a lot of these for rescue. When somebody falls through the ice, they can get out there, land it, and then get up and go again.
2: And if the ice is weak and it does happen to break through, break through it's a it's a floating craft. Yeah. yeah okay. Very so. good. Tell me a little bit about the Hover Club of America. That's not something I'm familiar with.
8: Uh, we're a group of enthusiasts. Uh, we have events a lot of times where we have cruises. We get together at a certain place and we all go out cruising and just have a good time. And a lot of the times we camp and and. Uh, um, you know just go out and cruise there's other events we have where it's a cruise and a race and then sometimes okay. it's just a race okay okay by uh, like coming up uh, here in the spring up in michigan we've got uh, our spring race coming up so
2: okay i'll be up there very good very yeah. good it, it's kind of cold up there still
8: yeah, it's it, it's unusually cool for this time of year. Uh, even at Atlanta,
2: it's yeah. it's,
8: it's cold. <laughs>
2: yeah, oh my. So, Hover Club of America, they're on the web if somebody wanted to yeah. Google them. and
8: uh, Hoverclubofamerica.com. Okay. Or.org.
2: Hoverclubofamerica.org. Very yeah. good for learning a little bit more about uh, a different way to get in the air.
8: Yeah, well, let me show you this real quick.
2: This is... So, this is a brochure for our, yeah. for our listeners who can't see it.
8: Yeah, well, just... You can take a look at it, and you know
2: we okay. World Hovercraft Week. All right, there's some there's some great shots here that looks like a lot of fun that's to a race go do. craft,
8: one of the real fast race craft, and that's what happens when you drive them fast
2: it is it is uh, it, 45 degrees up in the air exactly and, and somebody's going around a corner as sharply as they can
8: he went around the corner a little too quick
2: he's that shot upside that we're looking down. at is completely upside down the the, the bottom rails. of the craft is pointing up and the the guy looks like he's just about to get wet <laughs>
8: yeah, he did <laughs> all yeah. right well think this is we had the biggest cruise in the, in the world. Terra hope that year
2: okay and that's a couple hundred
8: a couple hundred okay yeah.
2: so, very cool yeah. all right well thank you so much for taking the time to, to uh, talk with us about your hovercraft and, and the organization that's me oh that's you okay yeah, the rocket <laughs> heading heading off the off the grass across the beach into the water yeah, yeah. that looks terrific yeah. all right well thank you so much again um we appreciate your time and sharing a little bit about your your uh, passion here oh You're quite welcome. All right. So this is Larry Overstreet uh, with Stuck Mike Avcast reporting live at Sun and Fun 18 for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Bill English of the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And we are over
4: here in uh, Hangar A at the Wildlife Strike booth with David Eicher of Emory-Riddle University uh, in Prescott, Arizona. And he's the manager of the FAA Wildlife Strike Database. Um, Doc, are you Dr. Iker or Mr. Eicher? Oh, just Mr. Mr. Iker. Right, well, had to be sure with the university and all that. But uh, can you describe to us a little bit about uh, Emery Riddle's role with the uh, FAA Wildlife Strike Database and what that's
9: all about? Absolutely. Uh, in 1999, we were contracted with the um, with by the FAA to build a Wildlife Strike Reporting Database. And uh, we managed it for about the first 10 years until the uh, incident in the Hudson River, uh, and that's when everybody kind of found out that the FAA had this database, and it kind of changed the, it changed a lot of things. It it increased the awareness of the existence of the database, as well as uh, increasing the awareness of bird strikes in general. I think pilots and uh, even in especially in av- general aviation already knew that there was a risk of of you know hitting birds because we're sharing that airspace with them, but the after flight 1549, the the miracle on the Hudson, we really increased a lot of public awareness about that.
4: Sure. I think, um, you know, a lot of pilots are definitely aware, you know, that birds are out there and all. So do you have an idea of what kind of risk do birds and other wildlife pose to us in the general aviation community? You mentioned the miracle on the Hudson, but what about our, you know, small singles and light twins? Have there been fatal accidents or very severe uh, issues with
9: wildlife strikes in the general aviation world? Well, there certainly can be. It's, It's not as Probably not as prevalent as when a big accident happens. Um, obviously, there's a risk to the big. The big planes obviously have a, a greater risk because an ingestion of a bird into an engine, you know, depending on the size of the bird, can completely shut the engine down. What we find with general aviation is because of the um, because of the the altitude that you're flying in general aviation, you're kind of down in the premium bird zone. But the birds that are down there are generally much smaller birds. Uh, I talk to pilots a lot about, you know, turkey vultures and, and raptors, you know, the hawks and the eagles and, and some birds like that. But usually they're kind of sharing the airspace up there because of the speeds that you're flying at. So the risk is really, a, uh, really more for general aviation. The risk is, is striking the smaller birds at the lower elevation. We find that statistically over 90% of the bird strikes happen below 3,000 AGL. So that's really, you know, when you look at it, and then 80% of that is below 500. So that's really kind of the general aviation levels that we're flying, so the risk is a little higher. What offsets that is the speed you're flying at, and if you're flying a piston engine with a propeller, you actually vibrate the air, and the wildlife will actually sometimes feel that vibration in the air before they actually even see you or hear you.
4: Oh, that's very interesting. I know I've been, I've been taught and always thought it was true that if you see a bird coming at you, you should climb because the bird dives. Is, is that true or is that, a, is that an old wives' tale?
9: Uh, not an old wives' tale, as a matter of fact. Uh, if you think about birds from the very beginning, from the first time they fall out of the nest, they understand gravity. And they know that they can use gravity to their advantage in an emergency situation. Uh, much like we can too, but that's probably not a choice you want to make when, you're, when you might be facing a collision with a bird. But 90% of the time, they will tuck and dive.
4: Yeah, well, especially at that low altitude that you, uh, you mentioned. Um, you, you, know, you talked some, this was great, about some of the science behind the wildlife. Um, what other um, uses uh, are you using for the database? Are there other scientific um, uses th- such as following migration patterns? Is that the type of things that you're
9: doing with the database? I, w- I would say that we've, we've learned a lot of things from the collection of this data. Uh, for instance, one of the things that most people, uh, pilots, some, t- some pilots understand this, but a lot of people don't understand this, but we found that a lot of the little perching birds fly at night, probably so they can avoid predators. Um, but what we've found through a lot of this research and collecting of data is that there's more than just owls and bats out there at night, and sometimes it's ducks, and sometimes it's the little perching birds, and, and of course, again, they're flying down there at that lower level. And, and, and people ask, well, why is that? How can they do that and fly at night? Well, some birds actually see a little bit differently than we do as far as uh, the light spectrum. But another issue is, when you think about it, birds, when they migrate or make massive movements, are following highways. not our highways they're following greenery they're following riparian areas and now if you've ever taken a commercial flight across the united states you at night you, you can look out the window and you will always see some lights so i think that the birds are following the same highways at night of civilization they're following lights cuz they know that's where civilization is and that way that's how they can see their way around at night
4: Wow, oh, that's uh, that's pretty amazing. Um, now, for the average general aviation pilot that does encounter a, a bird or other kind of wildlife, how can they go about? I mean, they probably report it to air traffic control. But is there another um, system that they should be able to get this data into the database? And then, then what happens from there? Do they um, get a ticket, or they, you know, they hear from the FAA or anything like that if they have a bird
9: strike? What happens? Well, it's an interesting uh, uh, series of events. There, anyone can can report a wildlife strike directly. Uh, the website is wildlife.faa.gov, and that opens up the wildlife resp- reporting uh, page, and there's a little button at the bottom that says report a wildlife strike. And you put a certain amount of information in there, everything you know. And then if if you've struck a bird, and, and even if you're not sure what it was or that it even was a bird, but it left some some mess on your plane, on the wing or somewhere, which we call snarge. That's a that's a coined term from the Smithsonian. A uh, big fancy term that means the, the gunk that's left behind of the bird. If there's pieces of feathers, that's great. Uh, but even just blood and, and some guts, you can actually submit that to the uh, Smithsonian for identification. If they can't identify it from feathers, they can actually do DNA testing. And that's how we know really what flight 1549 hit. We know that he hit five geese, and we know the gender of the geese. We know that they were migratory geese, not resident geese. And we know all of that because of the DNA testing that was done by the Smithsonian. Then, when you make the strike report, it's actually issued a number, and then you marry that number to whatever you send into the Smithsonian. And when that bird is actually identified, that information gets attached to that report, and everybody knows exactly what the species was that you hit. So
4: the FAA can come after that bird... Then.
9: Absolutely. <laughs> just, yeah, give, I don't know. Give the bird give, a ticket.
4: Exactly, get the bird on a, on a 709 ride. Now, um, we did talk about birds a lot, and one thing at your, uh, at your display here, I'm just turning it around so I can read it. Um, and we'll leave this out for folks who want to come by. They have a little, a little quiz. There's a great display out here. And they ask a question. There's a number of them, but this one I think is great. What other animals are known to cause a threat to aircraft? Which of the following have been involved in wildlife strikes? And there's six choices. Alligators, crocodiles, bats, cats, parrots, and turtles. And you'll have to come by the booth to know the answer to that one. Um, so check that out. Um, we're talking with uh, David Eicher from Emory-Riddle University. Say again, that website for the, uh, the database?
9: It's wildlife.faa.gov.
4: All right. Uh, talking about wildlife strikes on birds, this is Bill English with the Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio.
2: This is Larry Overstreet with Stuck Mike Avcast reporting for, uh, for Sun and Fun Radio, uh, on-site at Sun and Fun 2018. And I am joined today by uh, Jake Narotsky uh, and Hunter Chapel.
10: Tell us a little bit about the academy. Yeah, so uh, we're a small uh, academy. Uh, we're kind of in the pines of Alabama, uh, right there in Camp Hill, about 15 minutes north of Auburn. Um, we go up to about 200, 200 cadets, uh, and we go from about sixth grade to twelfth grade. Uh, and the real thing is, there we're just we're teaching our we're teaching our guys the skills they need to enter the industry, uh, whether it's going to college, university, whether it's joining the military, whether it's a, a, a vogue school, whatever it is for the future. And we add leadership, discipline, uh, and confidence in there as well.
2: Very cool. Very cool.
10: So you are here on
2: the grounds uh, mm-hmm. in in. Um booth 33, uh, booth 33 yep. in front of hangar c um tell me a little bit about what you're doing there at the booth what what are you uh, trying to share with folks
10: so we kind of have a, a unique situation this year uh, um uh, last year the president of the academy came to me and said jake i'd like you to start a start a, a flight school up here i said all right let's let's get at it um, we have our three uh inaugural students um and cadet chapel here's one of them and then we have two others with us at the booth and we thought you know what if we're going to start a flight school uh, the first thing we need to do is we need to get these guys to Sun and Fun. We need to submerse them in the, in the culture mm-hmm. for a week. Uh, so we're just spending a week down here. Uh, we're doing doing a little bit of uh, recruiting. Uh, we're also just getting the word out about Lyman Ward, uh, getting the word out about our, our flight academy there, um, and kind of letting people know we're here we are, we exist, mm-hmm. we're here, we're growing, um, and letting the guys kind of see some of the features down here this week.
2: Very good. What do you think of Sun and Fun?
10: For my very first time, it's a lot different and just – Speaking with the experienced pilots here, it puts a real big impact on me on where I'm going to do in the future towards my pilot career after I finish high school.
2: How cool, how cool. And what year are you? This is my senior year at Lyman Ward. Okay, so you'll be graduating soon then. Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Well, congratulations. I Thank wish you all the best in the future. Thanks, sir.
10: Um, you had
2: kind of an exciting uh, event happen yesterday.
10: Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, we did. Uh, as crazy as it is, when we looked at coming down here, uh, we have that showcase that flies for an hour or two every day. Yeah. Um, and as we came down, you know, right off the bat, we talked to the the company that we contract our flying through, and that is with uh, Brown Arrow there. And Alex sitting we said, "Hey, Mr. Gina, if you want to bring a plane down, let's put this thing in the uh, let's put it in the showcase and let's talk about it for a few minutes." Uh, and so we had one of our cadets, uh, first sergeant, cadet first sergeant Chapel, uh, not Graham. First sergeant Graham, cadet first sergeant Graham actually uh, was in the showcase yesterday, and that's pretty historic. That's the first time a military academy flight student has flown. In the in the Sun and Fun showcase, so that was really exciting yesterday, and uh, we had a narration, and he he did a couple laps, and it was it was a huge boost. You just seen the look on his eyes when he landed, and uh, just realizing that he could come down here and maneuver in this airspace, uh, and for the, all the other guys, you know, realizing this is real. Um, they've spent the last three 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 and a half months with their nose to the grind, flying in the in the spring weather up in Alabama, which can be turbulent. Um, yeah, it can you be, you know, that's a rough training time, yeah. And they've been at it, and now they're getting to enjoy that payoff, getting to a, wow. This is not just flying planes. There's an entire industry here, uh, and getting to come here and experience it, and, and you know, and smile, what <laughs> for a heaven's hand, sake, smile, you know, and have
2: fun. You oh, yeah, and what a great, what a great place to see so many different parts of it too. Oh yeah. Um, you have uh, a drone certification program as well don't you
10: we do so uh, we actually have manned and unmanned aviation education Mm -hmm. there at Lyman Ward and so on the drone side uh, we'll do our training up through uh, to prep you for and take you through your part 107 certification Um, and you got to be 17 to get the certification but we can you know we got our hobby guys flying drones all through high school so we have a bunch of students doing that this semester as well then we've got our manned which is our private pilot and then we're ramping up for our instrument pilot next year uh, as we open that program as well
2: very good very good
10: Tell, tell me a little bit about
2: uh, enrollment at the school and uh, uh, sort of the, the school year schedule. How does okay. that...
10: Okay, so we're kind of finishing up. we got Military Day coming up, which is going to be an all-day event. People can come uh, to the school on April 29th and be there... Or is it 28th? 28th, I'm so sorry. <laughs> April 28th, <laughs> okay. and uh, they can spend the day at the school and kind of see what we're doing. But really, you can come to our school any day, seven days a week, Um we call ahead, that'd be awesome. But i you just show up and take a look at it. But really, we're starting to enroll for next fall at this point. Um, our aviation programs are going to fill up fast, and that's why we're trying to get out ahead of it and let people know: Hey, uh, mom and dad, if your cadet or if your son wants to get involved and they want to get that mm-hmm. pilot's license and get moving in the career, we need to talk now. Uh, mm-hmm. We got to get your medical done, get you uh, go through your background and all that stuff. Make yep. sure you're good to go, so you can start on time uh, and get ready for the fall. Very
2: so, good, very good. How you you mentioned that you had uh, three inaugural cadets i believe yes sir. in the program what what are you uh, anticipating for this coming year what what does the future look like uh, so in we're looking plans? at
10: we're looking at 10 to 15 students okay uh, in the fall semester and that's why we're saying let us let us know you know let us know now and let's get started um because what's going to happen is we're going to get a, a large influx of students and mm-hmm. then there's going to be that one or two guys that maybe their medical isn't isn't possible uh, maybe they have some other Um, administrative challenge that they can't Mm. get past to start flying. So we need to get those students started now. But 10 to 15 students the fall semester uh, and and we're ready to go. We're ready to do some training.
2: Well, congratulations on the program. Congratulations on uh, just being able to be down here and be part of Sun and Fun. Awesome. Um, Thank you for taking the time to visit with us. Uh, This is Larry Overstreet with uh, Stuck Mike Avcast reporting at Sun and Fun 18 for Sun and Fun Radio. This is Bill English of the Stuck Mike
4: Avcast reporting for Sun and Fun Radio. And we are out here on the ramp sitting in a diesel Cessna 172 with Cynthia Ferguson from Wayman Aviation Academy down near Miami. Uh, Cynthia, can you tell us a little bit about this airplane? It's... uh On the outside, it looks like a 172. On the inside, it pretty much looks like a 172, except it's got this strange one power lever there. So tell us about this airplane.
11: Yes. So this is a standard 172 November model. Um, It is diesel. So one of the coolest things that you'll notice when you step into our cockpit is that there is a throttle. You don't have to worry about the mixtures anymore, which makes it a lot easier for our students to go ahead and learn how to fly. So the actual throttle is as standard as you would find it in most airliners or some charters as well.
4: So that's a, uh, a FADEC control as well, a full authority yes. digital engine control. Yes, it is. So um, now, uh, who makes this uh, this diesel engine for the, uh, for the 172?
11: We have partnered with Continental Motors. Um, so they're the ones that have gone ahead and created this for us. We've had this flown in. We did the conversion on our academy that we have down in the North Perry Airport.
4: And what kind of airplane did this start life as? This was an older 172, right?
11: Yes, this is your standard late 80s, early 70s.
4: And you've done some other uh, improvements or changes to the airplane as well. Can you describe some of the the panel and the interior and safety upgrades that you've done?
11: So on our left-hand side, you'll see, notice the panel, we have two Garmin 530s. And right above us, we have a beautiful skylight. We have two of them, one for our CFIs and one for our students. That way, now you'll be able to see traffic above you. We've also gone ahead and implemented a uh, Garmin 650 as well. Um, So most of the controls are still your basic controls. You'll still have your little six-pack, but you'll also notice you'll have a lot of upgrades to it as well. So safety is our number one priority at our academy.
4: That sounds great. Um, what other advantages, other than that simple power control, uh, what other advantages does the diesel engine get you? Is it uh, more economical, more reliable? What, what type of uh, uh, changes are there?
11: So the good thing about our, our Cessna 172 November model is that it is not only economically, but it is also environmentally friendly. Being down in Miami, you know, there's a lot of aircrafts that come in and out. You know, there's, we live... We're smack in the middle of two major major airports, so we figured we've gone ahead and we would change to diesel because you will save a lot more money. And the good thing is, is that a lot of our students are international students, so for them doing the mixture is very difficult. Sometimes they are afraid to mess it up. So when we've gone ahead and switched over to diesel, now it's a lot easier for them, um, and it's a lot cheaper for us because it's it's the avgas can get a little expensive done in Miami.
4: I guess it can get expensive anywhere, especially for the foreign students as well. That's uh, that's difficult for them, right?
11: Mm, yes, it is. Yeah.
4: So, um, you said you you do have a lot of foreign students in there at, at Wayman. Is that uh, what type of uh, training do you do down there? Is it a zero to hero type of program?
11: Yes. um, We market to our international and our local students. Uh, We have a very, very, I would like to say we have about a 50-50 between our locals and internationals right now. Uh, We train anywhere from private pilot, instrument rating, commercial single and multi, flight instructor, flight instrument instructor, uh, multi-engine. We also have some ATPL courses and we just partnered with Blue Air. So we're working on an EASA program as well.
4: Yeah, that's great. So the uh, so we were mentioning before that the uh, the diesel control and everything helps with that. That you start learning the jet type procedures right from the get go. Yeah.
11: Correct. Uh, most airlines will always require you to learn the basics right off the bat as opposed to learning a glass cockpit. So that's one of the good things that we've implemented in here. But the other good thing is that now you're not going to have to worry about your mixtures. God forbid, you know, you have a fire in your engine. So you'll have everything right there. You just go ahead and push your throttle up and you're set to go.
4: Does that change anything for the students on their check ride? Does it affect, uh, you know, how the how the examiner works with them? Anything from the, uh, the ACS standards or is it it's in the airplane so they just have to know it, right?
11: Correct. It's just as easy. It makes it a lot easier for them. The the students don't get as nervous. They don't have to remember the mixtures, like I said before. They just go ahead and push the throttle up and they're good to go.
4: That sounds good. And uh, you said you also partnered with some other um, aviation universities in the area as well?
11: Yes. um, We have been lucky enough to go ahead and partner with Liberty University, Miami-Dade College, and Embry-Riddle University.
4: Oh, that's great. So, Cynthia, your, uh, your admissions there at uh, Wayman, are you an instructor there also?
11: Uh, not yet. <laughs> uh, I do work the admissions, and I am in the process of getting my pilot's license, but I'm actually an air traffic control student.
4: Oh, excellent. Very good. Uh, is that uh, what brought you into uh, into wanting to do this? Is it something you wanted to do for a long time, or, or what?
11: I've had a huge love for aviation since I can remember. I've had the pleasure of working for some of the top companies, such as JetBlue um, at the Fort Lauderdale Airport, But when I had this opportunity to come work for a small school, I've always wanted to learn the inner workings and I've always wanted to see how it is that students start. And I didn't know that this would become a really good gift of mine. Um, And this is an amazing company. We are family operated. You will be treated like a a little sister, a little brother. Um, You will really, our students and our, our staff go above and beyond for each other. And we'll make sure you eat. (laughs) <laughs> good, good eating in Miami that,
4: that sounds great Anything else you'd like to tell us about the Diesel 172 Or Wayman Aviation Academy?
11: Uh, well, if you guys are ever down in Miami, look us up. We'll be really happy and excited to get you in a Discovery flight in our brand-new diesel engine. All right.
4: That sounds great. We're here talking with Cynthia Ferguson, admissions at Wayman Aviation Academy in the Diesel 172. Uh, it's right out by, what is that hangar over there? I don't know. I think that's Hangar B. Um, live here at Sun and Fun, this is Bill English of the Stuck Mike Adcast for Sun and Fun Radio.
3: This is Russell Zleski from Stuck Mike Avcast supporting for Sun and Fun Radio, Sun and Fun 2018, standing here next to a beautifully painted L-39 with Scott Farnsworth of Dash Aerospace. How are you doing today, Scott?
12: Oh, we're doing great. I appreciate you coming out here. Yeah, we're out here uh, entertaining the crowd. We've got a virtual reality experience where you can come fly the Dash Aerospace L-39. What we have here is a Czechoslovakian L39 and through our sponsorship with Dash Digital Cash, uh, they provide us the opportunity to come out here. Uh, we've got a couple of virtual reality experiences from formation flying, cloud surfing, uh, aerobatics, a little bit of dogfighting with the L39 as well. And so the people really get to, re- we strap them into an ejection seat. We introduce them to how it is to actually fly with a fighter jet. We're not some retail, you know, virtual reality 360 camera. We've strapped IMAX quality 360 cameras in the back and we're using virtual reality experience equipment that has only come out in the last two months. So we have the best of the best, representing the best of the best. Currently we're flying the L-39 around the country to different air shows, as well as our primary focus is low level pylon racing, 500 miles an hour at 50 feet. The premise of us, our primary focus there is as a racing team. We race the L39. My goal is to be the fastest race pilot on the planet, represented by the fastest payment, uh, payment processor on the planet, which is Dash Digital Cash. So tell us a little bit more about Dash Aerospace and what your uh, what, what your sponsor is doing here. Yeah, so the sponsor is uh, a competitor of PayPal. They work on microtransactions. It's a ability to keep the money in small business and individuals' hands as opposed to paying the credit card transactions and fees that everybody that's dealt with a small business transaction understands how much of a drain on your overall budget that is. So Dash allows you to leave that system and become your own bank, and by uh, having direct interaction exchange of goods and services for the money which is dash now
5: i
3: also want to hear about a little bit about this l39 uh what's it like to fly this how did you get started in doing something like this
12: yeah so i watch a lot of youtube videos so <laughs> yeah, yeah don't we all yeah yeah and video games no uh seriously so i started out uh riding my bike out to the airport and I didn't I didn't, didn't come from a family with a lot of means as far as financial, but I did have a lot of work ethic and hustle in me. So what I'd do is I'd ride my bike out to the airport and I wanted to learn how to fly, but I didn't have the financial means. So where whenever in life I've lacked in resources, I've made up for in resourcefulness. So I'd ride up and down and when I'd see somebody that had a hanger open, mostly, you know, gentlemen between the ages of forty and sixty-five years old, I'd ask them, hey, would you like your airplane washed? Sure. How much do you charge? I don't charge anything. But the next time that you go out flying, I'd like to go for a ride. Maybe you teach me how to work the radios. Eventually, learning how to work the radios and washing this this person's airplane and this person's airplane. Next thing you know, I was 16 years old and I'd probably flown almost every propeller plane on the local airport there in Oxnard, California. And then next thing you know, I'm instead of working the the uh, radios, I'm actually handling the flight controls. And then. I've watched the airplane for a flight instructor, and now I get to actually start, uh, you know, logging the time and logging the experience. I'm a private pilot. I started flying when I was 15 years old, and through that time, I've never lost my passion. I'm an Airbus 320, 321 captain for a major airline. I got hired at 29 years old because I'm obsessive compulsive. Therefore, once I like to do something or I'm interested in something, I can't stop myself from continually doing it. So I try and excel. That is actually followed through with my business development, with all my other businesses, started providing me the ability to race aircraft. I started out by building my own airplane. Again, I didn't have the resources to just go out and buy a race plane. So I became resourceful and I built my own airplane in my garage over two and a half years. Once I started racing, Somehow I started winning. I guess I got lucky a lot of times, but through the wins we acquired sponsorship and we kept on rolling back our sponsorship into bigger and better things and faster airplanes ending up in the gold class of the jet we're in the gold class of the fastest motorsport on the planet which is jet racing at the reno national air races 500 miles an hour 50 feet in a pack of eight or nine other jets there's nothing faster my goal is to be the fastest race pilot on the planet represented by dash arrows by dash digital cash the fastest payment on the planet and we can get a little bit of a
3: sample of what it's like to fly this jet through the virtual reality experience you're offering here.
12: Yeah, I think it's 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 amazing when people sit down and they they can strap into an ejection seat, put on the virtual reality goggles and the experience that they have because it's it's such a unique environment. I love taking people for a ride in my jet because it's just something so unique that most people don't they don't get to go fly in a fighter jet in air conditioned, pressurized, up above the clouds at you know twelve, fifteen thousand feet. We're doing barrel rolls. Loops, uh, you know, coming over the top in a Humpty. It's 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 a great, amazing experience. I love sharing it with people. Uh, we've had great response. We have Monkeys in Paradise Vodka has joined us here. They're going to be throwing a pit party, so we create a much more uh, inviting atmosphere. Yes, we do. We do get invited, or we do our our best to represent our products, but we're really here to interact with the people and not really sell them the products, but introduce them to the products and show them why we believe in. What what we're representing. I
3: know that one of your passions is really about motivating people and inspiring uh, especially young people but probably people of all ages in aviation and towards aviation careers. Why don't you talk a little bit about
9: that?
12: Yeah so I've learned early on too is the experience is usually the reward. You know we all like financial reward and so forth like that but financial is really a digit. What I like to see is a smile on a young person's face. Somebody that hasn't been exposed to something and that started with the Young Eagles program with the EAA. I had built my Vans RV8 and I thought that was a rewarding experience and I was out flying. And I was invited and asked to fly some kids for the Young Eagles. And I kind of reluctantly did it, to be honest with you. You know, I have my own kids, but I'll tell you what: the experience and the interaction that I had with the kids, I had a deep-seated fulfillment inside me, and I recognized how important that was in my life. So, everywhere that we go, we try and we try and reach out and talk and give our, our discussion to the younger crowd about chasing their passion. And like I've already told you, money has never stopped me from doing something I wanted to because my mind has always figured out how to be resourceful to figure it out. What I've always started with, with my greatest accomplishments in life is follow the passion. When I'm passionate about what I want to do, my mind figures out how I want to do it and then the resources build in from behind that. That's one of the things I really try and teach the kids and talk about because what's the number thing? Oh, I wanted to be a pilot, but I just can't afford it. Oh, I wanted to do this, but I just didn't have the money to do it. I can tell you right now, I was you know I was a single mother in California she made thirty thousand dollars a year. I was not the one that was going to just go write a check for my flight experience there 's more than one path there, a lot of people think there 's either civilian write a check path or military and have them pay for it and you pay that back with a commitment and a service to your country there 's actually several different paths that you can take, and the uh, the ability to, to take that internal fortitude and decide that you know where you want to go and you have to just keep following your path one step every day. Every day I wake up and I take one step forward to accomplishing a goal. And that's how I've I've lived my life since I was 15 years old, started flying. And flying is just absolutely inside my blood I see the young people that want to be involved with it and I know from my own experience and I'm empathetic to them that it's almost like they don't know how to get started and it's really important for me to sit down when I say sit down sit down with 40 or 50 young people and talk to them about how they get started and then take a personal interaction with with each and every one of them if I have to I know that I can't save everybody but there's going to be at least one or two in that crowd that later on in life they're going to look back and say you know what that, that crazy cowboy air racer, when he sat down with me and talked to me and really kind of showed me that you don't have to you know, have a, a wallet full of money and you don't have to be the NASA engineer, you can really go out and chase your passion and as long as you follow your passion, your fortune will follow after that.
3: I think that's a truly motivating story, and, and definitely, uh, that type of inspiration is what we really need in aviation. And we see all kinds of examples of that throughout this event. at Sun and fun. We have lots of lots of inspiring stories, and and jets passing overhead. So, what a great place! What a great place to, to really reach out to anybody who has the remotest interest in aviation. They're here, and this is where you can do that kind of thing.
12: And they're here, they're the social media feeds that are out there. You can visit us on Dash Aerosports on Facebook and Instagram. See where we're going to be. Come to meet us at the local air shows. You know, we leave here, we go to Myrtle Beach, we do the same thing. We try and engage the local environment, teach people about not only our products, but also how to to chase your goals. I'm very goal-oriented and executing to, like I said, be able to accomplish the passion that you have for in life. That doesn't have to be aviation either. You know, if I was a painter, I'd... I've been I've been blessed with being able to interact through my different bi- business ventures to realize that my passion for flying is one thing, but I also have the same people that are passionate about carpentry. If you're going to be a carpenter, you should have the desire to be the best carpenter and not sit there and think about, well, I can make this much money. What you do is you start with your passion. I want to be the best at this, and because people recognize your passion in that, your fortune will mathematically always follow. So, if you want to be the best engineer, be the best engineer. If you want to be the best painter, work your butt off to be the best painter. If you want to be the best airshow pilot, you're going to have to put in the time and be the best airshow pilot. But believe that you can do it, and as soon as you believe it, your your mind will adapt to make sure that it becomes true.
3: Scott, you have a truly inspiring message, and you're very motivated and passionate. And anybody can tell that by listening to this. Uh, any closing comments you want to make?
12: Uh, what I what I'd like to say is what I've talked about is. And that's what I'd like to say with jet noise. No, yeah. yeah. The love jet noise. Uh, I, what I'd like to say is just like I've been talking about is get outside of the realm of what you can't do. I'll say this, and I don't think I've ever said this in an interview before. I think where I'm at right now is because my father, whenever I told him some crazy idea, he never said, you can't do that. You don't have the money. He never said that. His first words were, well, how are you going to do that? And it created my brain, the ability to start figuring out resolutions to the problem before just shutting down the problem. You start looking past the problem. The problem might be, how do I accomplish my passion? How I accomplish my goal? How do I start that small business? How do I acquire something? Uh, and it doesn't have to be financial, a skill a desire or passion when you start thinking outside of that's what i want to do and you take that off the table that you can't do that your mind will start adapting to formulating the plan to accomplish your goals and it's not just aviation it's everything
3: well i think if anybody wants to uh Number one, see a beautiful L-39. They should come out here on runway 523 down kind of towards the end. Come on out, take a look at the airplane, talk with Scott. Uh, You will leave more motivated than you started with, I'm pretty
0: sure.
12: (laughs) Well, that's, you know, I'm a bit of an intensity freak, so I'm sorry about the interview being a little intense. But you know what? I fly a jet at 500 miles an hour. At, at 500 miles an hour at 50 feet in a pack of other jets, There's I like the intensity, but it's an ultra focus that I live within that intensity. So we were talking about the L39. This is an L39. It looks like it, right? But it is a highly modified L39. This thing has been lightened to an extreme, I'm not gonna talk about it because I have my competitors out there. We have our tweaks, we have our aerodynamic improvements that you can obviously see as light as it is. This thing is just a really exciting airplane to fly. I hope that you uh, not only visit us at Dash Aerosports on Facebook, but also uh, the Reno National Air Races. Come out and visit us, see what the fastest motorsport on the planet is. And NBC Sports is also airing the uh, Reno National Air Races as well. So get to know us, we'd love you to come out. And we want to get to know you as well.
3: All right, fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time, Scott. I appreciate it. Again, that was Scott Farnsworth with Dash Aerospace with this L39. And this is Russ Rosleski for Son of Fun Radio.
1: Well, gosh, I hope you've enjoyed those interviews here. Uh, Stuck Mike Afcast loves volunteering here at Sun and Fun Radio. Sun and Fun 2018 has been a great show. You guys have done a terrific job. And one of the things that I love is the fact that I get to see some of my friends. I actually have one walking up on the deck right now throughout the entire show uh, here at Sun and Fun. Don't forget, you can live stream liveatc.net slash SNF. Also, if you're on the ground, 15 10 a.m., and also on the speakers. Larry, you've done a great job with the interviews. You've been having a lot of fun, I know that. You come here every year. Hopefully, we'll, we'll be seeing you for many years after this.
2: Absolutely, wouldn't miss it. This has become uh, part of our regular, you know, annual routine. You know, I've done that other one up north since 1979, and now uh, this is this is our uh, I think my eighth year at Sun and Fun. So uh, it's definitely part of uh, the Overstreet family culture now.
1: Well, this has been in my family for a while. 1991 was my first Sun and Fun, and I've been coming ever since. And I won't do the math on that one because I am a little bit tired, haven't had the Red Bull yet. Uh, speaking of which, there's a lot of really cool things coming up and, and a lot of different shows that we're going to see out here shortly. Uh, if you want to listen to these interviews that we've been doing, uh, we also they stream them live you know, on Sun and Fun Radio. Again, we're volunteers here for, on the deck with Sun and Fun Radio. Also, Russ Rosleski, you've been actually out there running around the campus looking at different airplanes and products what different aviation products have you seen other than the cool airplanes that you think you might want to pick up
3: <laughs> that i might want to pick up well you know I, i've really been interested in all the all the there's some new training stuff out there that does that may help uh with flight instructors of course i am one so that may help there um there's lots of these uh, guided tours that i want to talk more about you know uh, towards the Caribbean or around the world and these kind of things so just so many interesting things here to learn about and find out more information about that it doesn't matter what you're into there's something here for you I think there's something for everybody no matter how old how young there's something
1: that's fun to see at Sun and Fun boats motorcycles Honda generators right across the deck from us and Bill I know you had some uh, those were really cool interviews by the way I know I unlearned a lot from them I guess you're excited to get out there and learn more tomorrow
4: Oh yeah, um, it, it takes it takes way more than one day just to cover all this and learn everything out there. I know I'll be looking for some of the just like uh, Russ, some CFI as well. I like to see the more the modern training uh, techniques, the schools that are out there, talking to some of these folks out there with some innovative uh, innovative stuff. And and like you say, all the way back to the old school. You know, we've got some uh, some real good vintage airplanes and and uh, things like that to see. Uh, so yeah, we'll be out there again another beautiful day tomorrow before the rain. Uh, we hope. Yeah. yeah, I know we have a little bit of rain coming. By the way,
1: uh, Saturday night, and there might be some rain here, but from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m., we're going to be live streaming our broadcast at liveatc.net slash SNF. That that's live on the deck with Stuck Mike Afkast. I know Larry will be there, Russell will be there, Robert Sigliano, who's in the de- uh, back in the deck. He's actually working on editing right now. Bill English, you'll see Eric Crump. You'll see people from other podcasts joining us. And there's actually a big party on the back deck. Are you coming to that, too? Absolutely. Wouldn't miss it. Saturday Night Volunteer Party. Well, don't forget. Also, you'll hear that live one. We're gonna do. Uh, we're gonna broadcast that later on. Actually, one of our Stuck Mike Avcast episodes. So let's uh, let's go. Actually, have some more fun tonight. We'll talk to them tomorrow. Uh, don't forget day five, Sun and Fun. I can't wait to get out there, do some more interviews, and of course, get on the deck and listen to some of our friends and meet our folks out here at Sun and Fun. And oh, by the way, we forgot to forget. We forgot about what hashtag Stuck Mike selfie. If you get a picture, hashtag Stuck Mike selfie it on our Facebook page. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Safe
0: flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of but not limited to referral commissions, free products or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation. And you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.